Welcome to the Media Mavens podcast, where you'll hear the most compelling, provocative, and real conversations with industry leaders and innovators in tech, sports, and entertainment with our host and CEO of well-known PR firm, Axis Entertainment, Sarah Miller. Hi, this is Sarah Miller of Media Mavens podcast with my co-host Marjorie DeHay. Hey, Mags. Hi, thanks for having me, as always. I know, it's so much fun having you as my co-host, but it's even more fun today because I got a good friend, Jeffrey Hazlett, who's the chairman and CEO of C-Suite Networks, primetime TV podcast host, best-selling author, and Jeffrey, as one of my favorite people, you are a global business celebrity. Well, thank you so much. You know, like I said to you a little bit earlier, you need to get out more often if this is it. This is the, the highlight of your day or year or week, man. You you got to set your sights a lot higher. Wow. That that was rich. Okay. I literally, I love to wear right off the gate with Jeffrey Hazen. Honestly, I love my podcast. I have met, I can't say I've met more people because I'm already pretty connected, but I've had some of the most phenomenal conversations on our podcast. And it's so funny. And I'm so glad you're on right now because I started my podcast a year ago and then we were trying to suck it up, wait through the podcast. You know, we're PR from events. We're not podcast people, but like, I'm so proud of my podcast. The fact that C-Suite Networks picked me up of months ago and we just hit our one year anniversary. We are clearing season four in December. We're recording season five. My one year podcast anniversary was at a Dodgers Phoenix D-backs game with Mags on a Tuesday on our podcast anniversary. So I'm excited you're on right now because- Well, I gotta tell you, first of all, to make it one year is a big thing. You know, 48% of all podcasts on Apple only have one episode, only 36% have more than 10 episodes. So, you know, the podcast fade thing is a real deal. And and by the way, I like it. You don't really call yourself a podcaster. Most people are creating content today aren't podcasters. They're not bloggers. There happen to yeah. be that, you know, they lead a category like you lead PR and events. That's what they do. And just podcasting is one way of being able to get the message out, have a discussion, get intimate with the people that you're working with and have these great conversations. That's what it's all about. Yeah. Plus, I'm also just super chatty, you know, and it's always good. Well, to that have helps. One of, and it's always good to have one of your good friends and an attorney who's also your good friend as your podcast host. So I'm super glad that Marjorie's on with us. But OK, speaking of it, yes, let's talk about podcasts for a second. We have a lot to cover with you, but because we are. I think we've cleared over 100 episodes in a year. It's just out of control. I We talked about this prior, and I put you on pause because let's talk about being red flag because I curse constantly, and I promise <laughs> you I keep this podcast clean. And because of Marjorie, who is sometimes my moral compass on with us, I'm going to keep it clean. But I have cursed and been inappropriate on my own podcast, and I don't think I have any red flags, but I know you have a lot of red flags. I have red flags. These are red flags where the, sometimes either the podcast gets graphic or it gets violent, either way. And I've had both because I've actually threatened one time to punch a guest in the throat because he was talking about women. And when he said women, he was talking about the financial industry, a Wall Street guy. And he wrote the book around overheard in Goldman Sachs elevator. You might remember that. The guy was secret for a long time. He got outed, and the week he got outed, I put him on the show. I had him on the show, and he talked about women were used as like tethered goats in the industry. What? 
Yeah, exactly. That's what he said. And I said, dude, what did you just say? And he goes, you heard what I said. And I said, if you were here with me and he happened to be across town in New York, because I live in New York, and he happened to be across town. I said, dude, if you were here right now, I'd punch you in the effing throat. And he goes, well, well, you don't seem to understand. It's the industry. I said, what are you industry? What are you talking about? Where's your moral compass? Where is your, you know, standing up for what's right? And I don't give a crap if it's condoning the industry or not. You don't treat human beings like that. And I said, and more importantly, dude, you have two daughters. I knew we had two daughters because we had just talked about it. I go, you disgust me. And, you know, anyway, you can see how mad I got. I, I was even more mad then. And I said, I'd punch you in the fucking throat, you know. And I, I literally would have just, like, pounded the guy. I was that mad to say something that rude, that inappropriate, that degrading. Yeah. I mean, just I just keep going and on. And he's in the fight. It's funny because I, my career, I started out in the financial industry. I would never, like, I don't know how anybody in their 20s could be on commissions in a stock brokerage firm. But, like, well, I, I use my... Well, I use, watch Wolf of Wall Street, right? Well, I mean, yeah. You know, that's the kind of crap that some of these guys did. Now, not all of them were like that. And there was a lot of, you know, like, uh, white, sh- white socks or blue shoes or whatever you call them firms that are out there. They're really good guys and gals, but you know, then every once in a while you come across these losers like this. And that's, that's exactly that's what just, I You know, I think that's in every industry. I just, it's, yeah. I guess in my industry, we're PR, so we're all tech and entertainment. It's all men in sports. It's all men. Like, I don't give a shit, but like, I think it's different for me because I get hit on so much. I'm not intimidated. I'm like, yeah, fuck you. Keep walking. Yeah. Give me a check. Like, it doesn't bother me. I don't get all weird about it. It goes both ways. goes well, both ways. Yeah, Some of us, I, you know, if you're eye candy like me, I get hit on <laughs> all the time. So it's, yeah. that, that's that's the nature of it, you know. So we got to keep this PG rated that because technically that, you know, that was our next No, but I get hit on. No, listen, listen. First of all, I've had my identity not stolen, but at least they try to use my pictures. I'm trending. I did a thing for BBC where some woman actually got taken for like half a million pounds because she thought she's fallen in love with me. And it was somebody that was a biotech engineer who was using my picture. You know? Yeah. Yeah. It was terrible. The guy, these guys are just ruthless. And, and it happens every week. I get an email from somebody saying, Hey, do you know your pictures are being used? And I, and I just feel for these women who have been taken. And, and by the way, some men, cause I guess I'm trending on like grinder as well. So there you go. <laughs> We got to We need to monetize. It's so funny because, like, I think that's the danger of social media. It is there's so much misperception. People are out there on Tinder, Grinder, lying, cheating. I just had a situation last year with that. It's like it's just there's no reason to be. But as you get the same thing, Sarah. Quite frankly, Marjorie, you know this too. You get this in business too. You got people who are just unethical, either in personal or business relationships. You know, I've this last year I've seen more potential fraud in the industries than I've seen in a long, long time because people were very desperate. So they, they, you know, in desperate times, people do different things and, and sometimes they're, they're led that way, but there are some people who are just the core. They're just unethical. Uh, it's and, also technology though, but social media, it's, it's, it's becoming very dangerous perceptions, reality. And it's just like, I love that we don't use filters on the podcast, which cracks me up. Like I know Marjorie's an attorney by trade. Marjorie's so good. Like I love that she's so like opposite of me because I'm always like, let me give you a dollar just off the cut, you know, yeah, what we- is it, Max? client legal confidentiality. So when one of the attorney and you're at Grammy parties, I had to give her a dollar like thousands of times. Right. 
Yeah. Well, we, you know, when you, <laughs> yeah, yeah, not thousands, because she'd be going, where's the dot? Where's the money? Where's the money, babe? So, you know, you, when you're sitting with an attorney, sometimes you, you just like, it checks yourself. It's kind of like going to an auction and an auctioneer and you're trying not to make eye contact or touch your nose because it's going to cost you money. Yeah. You know, it's a, <laughs> Well, okay. There's a lot of history there that Marjorie has on shit that we've done. So we're going to leave that. But okay. I love that everything's authentic. We don't filter. I could give a shit if you curse. We have not had any very heated things on the podcast, but we've had a few during, you know, COVID Black Lives Matter. We've had some, oh, some hardcore. Just, I got school max. I got schooled by Ron G mm. like big time on the podcast, but okay. X rated or not. We could, that's a whole different conversation for a different podcast on a different part of C-Suite. Let's chat about what's going on. Love C-Suite Networks. You are TV host. Yeah, podcast got podcasts, host. got podcasts, TV host. We're, you know, we have C-Suite TV, C-Suite Radio. We have over 450 uh, business podcasts, luxury lifestyle podcasts. We have over 100 uh, digital TV shows that are streaming. And we broadcast some of those shows. We're on United Airlines. We're in cruise ships. We're, wherever I can find video content to be displayed, I'll put it where people want to watch it. And that's Let's what we're doing. Talk about broadcast i think i mean everything has evolved and changed so much during covid i mean we've gone off the whole cut the cores gone to streaming everything like from what peacock and is out there paramount there's so much in the streaming space it's all about producing content i mean what are you guys doing over at c-suite like what kind of content are you producing and um, how have you evolved over this past year? Well, you know, everything. I, I'm, well, you know, when everybody else started getting scared, you know, when March the 13th hit, when we first got hit with everything starting to shut down, you know, when they shut down Disney World, that's some serious shit right there. That's just like, boom, that happened on that Friday the 13th. And then everybody else was like, oh, my gosh, what are we going to do? And I said, look, we're going to run into it. And they go, what do you mean? I said, we're going to help people. I mean, this is like this is like a business first responder. That's our jobs, you know, in the C-suite is to not the smartest people in the room, but to be the most strategic. And that means we had to do what we had to do to save the businesses and save ourselves, quite frankly. And so, and what we found during COVID is that, you know, days became weeks, weeks became months, months became years and it accelerated. It didn't change things. It just accelerated the change. I mean, just like you're seeing in, in fast food restaurants now, fast food restaurants, you can't go inside of them, but there's two or three drive ups now. So now we're learning that that's what you want. You didn't go there for the ambiance. You just went there because you wanted to drive by the window and they threw the food into your car. I mean, that's literally what you wanted to do. And, and then we had to find foods in most restaurants that traveled well. So, you know, so COVID didn't change the way we behaved. It just accelerated it. And so what we did was we see that contents that way too. And I've been saying this since I was the chief marketing officer at Kodak. And I left that company. I said, you got to be the brand of you. If you look forward for what we have to do in the future, sell you, you sell the company, sell the company, sell you, and you're not going to be able to separate it. So what we've seen is just a proliferation of content, and we're not even close to what we're going to see into the future. You've got millions and millions and millions of podcasts and millions and millions of TV shows before this is all, you know, until we get to a, to a saturation point. You look at podcasts, for instance, by the way, you put the quarter in, Sarah, you get to go for the full ride here. So that's just the Love way it works. It. You, know? you know, but when you look at podcasting, you, you compare it to the, the age of an of a human being we're in the adolescent stage like about 13 right now 
years of age. It's not even close to being an adult, not even close to where we need to be. But yet, you know, we grew last year by 450% in listeners on First C-Suite Radio, 120% in new shows, 137% in new episodes. So it's just, you know, it's exploding. And, and quite frankly, as you just mentioned with streaming and everything else you see on TV, the only way you're going to be able to find a TV show is by word of mouth. You know, hey, did you see Yellowstone? Hey, did you see this? Hey, did you see this? You know, that's the way you're going to find shows, and that's the way it's going to work. And it's through your friends, your friends. You're going to friend source just about everything out there. Yeah, Yellowstone is so- my favorite. Wait, we had it, Max. We talked about this yesterday with our CIA guy, with Mick Mulroy in our podcast. I'm obsessed with Yellowstone. Just binge the last of the three seasons. Okay, sorry. Just got to get that out there. But Marjorie, being in film production, you know that's the whole plug every time I it- get But I I think it is it is about content creation, but I think it's also about content discovery, because I think exactly what you said, because it's like, I look at Squid Games, and I had heard about it from a friend before it became this whole global phenomenon. But that was all social media It wasn't the traditional Netflix putting the billboards up or putting, you know, the traditional advertising, that was a truly viral. So when you're, oh, oh God, when you're doing your podcast, how do you, you create that energy? Well, you, part of it is to know who you're talking to. You know, one of the cool things in C-Suite Radio is that we have the analytics behind there. And so, for instance, as a, you know, right now I'm on my screen, one of my screens, I've got where podcasts is being listened to all over the world. So I found out, for instance, that the second largest uh, area or country outside of North America, when I count, I count U.S. and Canada's, you know, just one because Canada's like America's hat, you know, and, you know, you count that as one. And then outside of North America, where's my strong? Strongest audience. Well, I found out it was India. So when I'm doing the podcast, I start changing what I say because, you know, to respect the people that are listening, because it's such an intimate media that we have here. I used to say things like, hey, I'm going to go for a big juicy steak after the show and a a scotch. Well, that's probably not a cool thing to say when they're Hindu and they don't eat beef and uh, the cow's a very sacred kind of animal. Probably not good to be saying that you're going to eat it, you know, when you have that many listeners. So I changed it. I started thinking, well, I I love Bindi, so I'm going to go for a big Bindi and a a curry after the show. And then people say, what is your favorite Bindi? What is your favorite curry? You know, and so now it's interactive. And then by the way, I found out that the second largest drinking population in the world was whiskey. Whiskey drinking population was India. So that now that picks up more sponsors. It picks up a lot of different things. I'm able to talk about different different kinds of stuff. So, you know, it's really truly about taking and being a very servant to the people you're listening to that are listening to you. How do I best serve up that content? You know, I used to think when I first got started podcasting, my first show, and I did it for CBS on their Play It Network, and I was the business host. We had Jennifer Beal, who was the health and beauty, Carson Daly, who was pop, Boomer Size and Sports, and I and I was the anchor for the business side as they went and went public with their podcast network. And I started doing a one hour show thinking everybody's going to want to listen to a one hour show. You know, even my own mother who no longer alive doesn't want to listen to a one hour show, but you know, you learn these kinds of things about when people drop off what they do. So the average business podcast today is between 22 and 27 minutes. And, oh, shit. Uh, Okay, so I guess it's been a great podcast. Good talking to you guys. <laughs> no, but that's an average. That's the average, Sarah, because that means there's some out there that are two or three minutes, Okay, right? but the problem yeah. is our podcasts are like 
I get, I get the whole 20 minutes and the whole thing because, you know, I'm your biggest cheerleader and fan, but we end up going into 40 to 50 because some of the people we have on our podcast are like a whole shit. They're amazing. And it's like, we don't do live. I call in live because we always have a guest. I get if you're on your own talking, you want guests coming in, but we are so all about chatting with the guests. And to Marjorie's point, I think what makes a good podcast is the chemistry between you, the co-host, the guest. I mean, if you sometimes, you know, in PR is QA, QA, but because we're so authentic, we curse, we don't have any rules, we're unfiltered. I think that chemistry comes through. It's like being at a bar drinking whiskey and vodka and listen yep. to the conversation next to you. I'm like, wait a second. I just heard you guys talk about that. That's how our podcasts have turned out that authentic grab a beer and let's chat. So I think that's not the only thing Max, but I think to Jeffrey, you guys' point, I think the chemistry has got to be spot on first and foremost than anything else to get people to want to keep coming back and tune in. Oh, absolutely. If you don't have that, you don't have an interview. I mean, I've, I've, I've gotten at the end of the show one, one particular time, the guy was so bad. He said, how'd I do? I said, not very well. I said, no, I won't even use the interview, Uh-oh. you know, literally because we were on a podcast and we'd ask him questions. We basically, you could see him shake his head on the video, but dude, we're, we're on an audio podcast. It's an audio. You gotta, you have to talk, you have to say something. And by the way, you have to be interesting and you, my friend, were not. So I cut you. Know. I hate to say this and I'm not going to say, Oh, run a podcast and I'm not going to filter. I've cut, oh, I'm saying this, I've cut two or three and I've only been around for what, a year. We each seasons, of course, a different season. I've had to cut two and it broke my heart and I felt bad, but dude, we're on a podcast. Like, agree. We're on a podcast. You've got to be fun. You've got to, you've yeah. got to know what you're talking about. And I've had to cut two of them and it just ah i hate it well and, and marjorie said this earlier you got to show up with energy you have to show up prepared if you're a good guest you're gonna be a great guest and you know this in the pr side you have to show up with henry kissinger once said at a press conference what questions do you have for my answers you have to show up with hey i'm going to come here and my job is to make you look good my job is to make the show be good and to be as entertaining as a guest as i possibly can depending on what the subject is as best as i can and that's what you should do as a guest. And as a host, you should know who you're interviewing, what their backgrounds are. I mean, I've showed up at some things and they said, uh, what's your name again? I mean, I did <laughs> I did a show the other day that was a veteran show and they had no clue who I was. They had no idea why I was there because one of two, there are three co-hosts and the one that invited me didn't show up for the interview. <laughs> it was the worst interview I've ever had. But yet, you know, I was making the best out of it because they were trying and you didn't want I didn't want to say that was the stupidest, worst interview in the world. I was just trying to be nice, you know. So, I mean, I show I I do them all. I love all kinds of podcasts, uh, no matter what they are. See, you like me. Marjorie, I, Marjorie thinks more prepared than I. This is why I love having her as a co-host. Because <laughs> I know who our guests are. I know who everybody is. Some people I don't really know well. So I have to, you know, go through the motions. But nine out mags don't get mad seven out of ten times on our podcast i just know who you are and if i know you personally like i do you i don't do my research because i don't want to be continued to reading questions it's just so funny and and always go off strip so i as a i 
as the host, know who you are, know what you do. But I'm, I don't get very QA, QA, but I got to give Marjorie a lot of fucking credit here. We have Global News Watch with former military intelligence, security defense, CIA, who's on every single month. And she, I don't know if it's just being an attorney or just, you know, everybody's different. She just comes in with the most insane direct questions to Mick Mulroy. And I'm always filtering around, but she always hones in on the direct hit. So I do got to say some podcasts, yes, you've got to be prepared for some you don't, but I think Marjorie are always more prepared than I am on every podcast. Well, thank you. And with that, we're going to a direct question for Jeff. (laughs) Oh, wow. Great. You're literally a global phenomenon for your ability to educate CEOs. And I think being a CEO is one of probably the hardest jobs in the world because you've got to manage personalities, you've got to manage revenues, you've got to manage investors, et cetera. So what are some of the top tips you give to new CEOs? Well, I think the most important thing that we talk about, well, the biggest problem most CEOs face, quite frankly, is talent. I mean, the key common thread that I always have on all business, which every is on C-Suite Radio, is the key theme that runs through everybody I talk to is always about talent, you know, the, the, the need to manage talent. The other tip that I really talk to a lot of CEOs, when we get in a job in the C-suite, now whether it's a CEO or it's a CMO, a CFO or whatever, we sometimes think we have to be the smartest people in the room. And that's not our job. Our job is to be the most strategic. And so the focus that I have them is, is focus in on what those key things that you should be doing to be strategic, not to prove that you're right, not to show that you know how to do it, but to be able to say from time to time, I don't know what you're talking about. For, you know, Sarah mentioned some I, Ronnie G or something. I, I have no clue who that is. All right. I know the things I need to know and what those things need to be. But you know, if somebody makes a pop reference or this or that, I have no clue what those things are now. But if you ask me who is the CMO of this company, CEO of this company, because of my background and what I've done and the fact that, you know, I was a former Fortune 100 officer, there's only, there's only 500 of those in the world. So you tend to know everybody. Those are the things. So The other thing I like to talk to a CEO or C-suite leader about is to be in a constant state of awareness, to always be ready for the pony that's going to show up out of nowhere because you don't know where it's going to come from. And so our jobs is to be aware of the things we're not aware of, to always be in a constant state of of unawareness or awareness of the fact that we should be unaware of the things going on. Because if you go into the, I know it sounds kind of weird, but, but if you go in with a preconceived notion or plan or what it might be, now you have a general direction of what it might be, but you don't know exactly what's going to happen. And I think that's the, you, you know, you know that if you do these certain things, these are the likely outcomes. But when you get inside of it, you start looking around, it might not be what you think it is. I always well, think, I think that's just common, sorry, Max, common knowledge sure. of CEOs. I mean, just being a CEO, I think I've been in the best and worst of situations with clients, the press, from experiential events to where I'm always driving plan Bs just in case. And like, you know, my two big things for CEOs, because we do a lot of executive training for me to train with our clients is And I've literally been, I've quoted this in every interview I've ever given, never drive your company by your ego. And, you know, I feel like the hardest, my biggest thing of a CEO, 
It's not the easy decisions. It, anybody can make an easy decision. It's making the hard decisions with the class and grace and leadership that's doing what's best and keeping your team following you and supporting where you're going. It's making hard decisions. It's making judgments without your ego getting involved. I think those are the two biggest downfalls I've seen in CEOs, at least in the startup space, being in PR that I have to but battle with. Everybody. Not just startup space. I mean, go look around. My last book, well, The Hero Club or Hero Factor, was all around value-based leaders and that value-based leaders do better than anyone else. Now, we call them heroes because you don't see them very often, but you do see them. And those companies that run themselves based on values have employees who are more engaged, customers who are happy, vendors who want to do business with them, and they make more money and gross more money than any of their competitors. And on top of that, everybody knows who they are in their community. It's like a dog soldier. It's like a very sacred warrior who walks across, you know, a Cheyenne Indians or a Sioux Indians. And you, you can see them and you point them, you know who exactly who they are. They're very special people. And those servant leaders, those leaders who lead with values, they don't cut corners. They they treat their people right. Basically, as I always say, we got we have a group called the Hero Club in the C-Suite Network, which is these leaders. Basically, somebody said, what's, what's the real thing? I said, nobody's an asshole. They're just really good people yeah. who want to help people and do the right thing. And I think wherever you can find that, it's pretty good because you got different kinds of companies like that. You know, here you got a hero company, which is way up there, high value and high operational excellence. Well, then you have high operational excellence, but low hero value. And that's not as high, which is, think you know, like companies like GE, companies like Walmart, great companies. All right. What's good? Don't get me wrong, but they make decisions not based on values. They're making decisions based on the bottom line. Then you have good codes. You have Walmart wannabes. You have those companies that will never make it ever. They've got high hero value in terms of values that they want to put forth, but yet they'd have no operational excellence. And then you have the, I call them the asshats, but those are the, they have no operational values and, and, and no value and, and no operational excellence whatsoever. And they are just driving the company to the bottom and taking everything they can. So the key is to, to position yourself as a good co and then continue to grow and, and be better. And by, as, as a basis of that, I mean, you're going to do some great work. We've seen this shift in companies, which I find really interesting is, you know, uh, uh, what is it like 94% of venture capital goes to traditional white males, et cetera. And there has been this push to really diversify this. And you feel like the whole next generation is really embracing this. When you talk about talent, how can our business leaders out there better embrace diversity to really create what you're saying, those hero companies with strong operational attributes. Do it. You know, my, my daughter's out there raising money right now. And it's, if I were to tell people the kinds of things she runs into from men or from people who are trying to give her money, it's again, I would be punching people in the throat and have had to make phone calls, you know, to say, Hey, dude, that's my daughter, you idiot. And even if it's not my daughter, if I heard you treated another person, a human being like that man or woman like that, I, I have issues with you. The first of all is to, again, back to your values. Yeah. The C-suite network, Every program that we have, at least 50% or better, has to be people of color or women. That's it. Now, someone says, well, Jeff, how can you do that? You've, you have to find qualified people. Shut up. If you don't know enough qualified people of color or women, then your, industry, your, your, your network isn't big enough, okay? Or you haven't tried hard enough, all right? So, I mean, it's deplorable to think that of publicly traded companies today – 76% of them are less than, you know, I think it's only 19 or 21% right now have women on the boards. That's it. 
Are you nuts? With the women are a majority in this country, in this world, and why don't we look like the communities that we re- reflect the communities that we serve? And so it's it's all about Marjorie about putting a stake in the ground and saying, hey, based on my values, this is what we're going to do. In fact, today, if we were to put a moratorium on all the spots that are vacant, that vacant, that become vacant, we have to fill them with women. We would not see parity in my lifetime. That there's something wrong with that. So if you want to be diverse then be diverse. If you want to be inclusive, then be inclusive. And that means, does it come with the price? Well, hell yeah, it does. But the price is worth it. It's worth the emission, all right? It is worth paying that price for what you get back on the backside of that, and it's almost immediate. And so I applaud companies that do the right thing. And by the way, you can have whatever opinion you want. I mean, in the, in the Hero Factor, I talked about this. I make Just make a freaking decision. Decide what you want to be. So if you want to be Kathy Truett and you decide at Chick-fil-A that you don't want to open on Sundays because it's a religious thing, then don't open on Sundays. If you decide that you don't want to provide support for same-sex marriages, I'm, you know what? It's a free country. I don't particularly care for that same view, but at least you picked a side. And but so now it's I like, can, but it's like owning your decision. You just can't preach something to somebody. I don't oh. feel it's like it's like be it's like you're a coward. If if you're gonna make a decision and you feel a certain way, opinions aren't right, wrong, or different. It's just how you perceive something and what you think. But own it. Don't yeah. put somebody else down. And my big thing is you can't have an opinion. Have an opinion without judgment. If my opinion is my opinion, but you or Marjorie are explaining your side, and I may think well, shit, I never thought of it that way, or I never saw it that way. So maybe that forms the perception of my opinion, but I need to own whatever's coming out of my mouth. And like, so I think that's an important part, but what I struggle with, and I'm just going to say it because I don't care who it pisses off. I think when people preach, not preach, when they talk about this subject, you know, inclusiveness, diversity, everything you guys are talking about, I feel like this conversation is not directed towards these men who hit on women and use whatever they can. And we've all been, I'm not, we all, Marjorie and I have been through that being who we are. And maybe Jeff has too. Oh, yeah, it's true. We're all blonde. <laughs> no, no, we're all looking- well, but, but let's be clear. I also have been inappropriate as well. Okay, I'm going to say that. Yeah. Well, here, no, let me say this. Why? Because we grew up in different traditions. We grew up with different things. We grew up when what was acceptable and isn't acceptable until we become enlightened about it. We don't know. You know, I was on during the black, the height of the black lives matter. I said, look, if that, you know, George Floyd, if that had happened to me, I wouldn't have reacted that way. And then there was pointed out to me very, very distinctly, Jeff, you would never be put in that position. And I went, Oh, that's so true. Right. Because as a, a white male, I wouldn't yet. I've had people on my show former FBI agent, a special agent, former military person, black, drives a Mercedes, and he's been pulled over 28 times in the last nine years. That's freaking ridiculous, right? I don't even know what that looks like. And if I got pulled over and was profiled like that, I would be indignant about it. I would be all these kinds of things. So it's not that I, you know, I haven't, I don't know what that experience is like. So therefore I can't put myself in the same shoes as some people. You talk about own it. And I, that's what I said in the book, uh, the, the hero factor. I talk about taking side, pick a side. I will defend someone's right to burn the flag. I don't like it. 
but I'll defend their right. And if they want to take a knee on a football field, they can take a knee on a football field as far as I'm concerned. But that doesn't mean there's not consequences. There's consequences of all of our actions. You know, I'm a strong believer and defender of the First Amendment. I was the chief marketing officer of Eastman Kodak. There were many things that we had to do in printing and, and photography that I didn't like. And yet, and we motion picture business, Marjorie, as well. Eastman Kodak, biggest fire film in the, in the world. And, and there were things that we, we helped to make that I didn't like. But that was the First Amendment. And like even the Second Amendment, I'm now vice chairman of an online retail gun company. And I pulled up the other day at a, a fast food restaurant in, in the Jeep with the logo on the side. And I was getting my food, and the, the woman there was training a young man, and she said, I really like your company. I love your Jeep. I said, we love you too. Come and, come and uh, keep buying from us. And she said, well, I sure will. And the young man said to me, well, what do you do? And I said, well, we're an online retailer of, uh, of firearms. And he, he goes, well, I don't believe in violence. I said, neither do we. And, you know, it's just a different perspective. Yeah, he thought because we sold, I said, our people believe in protection. They believe in lots of things. They believe in the military. They believe in the police, you know, that we do all these things for all these other people. So, you know, and and it's always interesting because, you know, every Sunday I host a thing called Scott Sunday. And we have debates like this all the time. And on all kinds of subjects, you can imagine the last year during the Trump-Biden election, oh my gosh, it was like, it was crazy. You're not supposed to talk about politics, religion, and sex, and we talk about all three of them many times in one night. And I always tell everybody, when you come on that, you come there, it's like coming to a local pub, just like this conversation we're here. We not, might not have to agree with each other. My job isn't to convince you. My job is just to understand. And if we can come to an understanding, we can still, sir, I'm sure there are things, Marjorie, I'm sure there are things that we will not agree on. But you know what? I respect your right to have the discussion and have a wonderful discussion about it because that's what this country was founded on. And yet we might not agree, but we, we come to a better understanding of each but other. It's and also, I think it's a, but it's also the respect. You can't you can have an opinion without judgment. And yeah. it does it does earn more respect. And I going back to your point, it's you know, because I got schooled on my own podcast, like hardcore school on Black Lives Matter, because I'm not a black man. My co-host at the time was a sportscaster guy. We would never understand it. So I, I go back to that comment. But then, you know, my co-host at the time and the guest, who's very well-known comedian and Emmy-winning guy, was like, but at the same time, being a female, I never have to walk over my shoulder, walk into a meeting, get hit on, get grabbed, defend myself. I mean, it's just, you. it's like they always say, you until you walk in their shoes and you are that just understand respect it educate learn but i always have this feeling where in any relationship you always leave a relationship with the class and grace in which you entered it regardless of where you're at there's only that's the it's like there's so many different ways that people have and they think there's only one way for me leave how you came into that there's no other way no matter how good or bad and everything but i you know we talk about opinions and respecting opinions and not agreeing. So I'm, I'm going to state this, and this is no disrespect to anybody. These conversations, and this is what pisses me off when they're women, con women panels, they are not directed only towards men. It's not only men this, well, I'm this, I'm that, you're that, because I'm a female and you're a male. Yeah, you're bullshit. If you're fucking smart enough to get in the room, open your mouth and own the room. If you can't, don't blame a guy because you can't get ahead because you're a female. And I've had a few people on panels. I've had to moderate. So I've made it clear. I will no longer moderate female only panels. It's not a man bashing thing. Yes, I'm in a male dominated field. Yes, I have the most amazing smartest women friends and associates I know but to me 
And this was said in a really big panel at CS I moderated. And I had the head of Intel and a lot of big female engineers. Is the re reason why a lot of women don't get ahead in this industry is not because the men, because they're put down inclusivity race, it's other women who are petty, insecure. They're so terrified that they put and keep other women down. I'm a big believer in the power in numbers. I'd rather be a partner with another male, female, whoever, to get further ahead and be more strategic than be solo. I don't care what race, religion, color you are. If you're smart, intuitive, strategic, I'm drawn to that. I want you as a partner. But And I'm going to say this, and I've been cut out of magazine articles, but I don't feel this is a male bashing conversation. Women are also equally responsible for other women not getting ahead and getting where they need to be. And let's be reasons. clear, there are a lot of, that, you know, I've been in the corporate world, bought and sold over 250 businesses, 25 billion in transactions and Fortune 100 company on publicly traded boards and so forth. And just if you just take men on men, sometimes it's a pretty rough world out there in terms of the political stuff that plays out in the boardroom or behind the boardroom in the C-suite sometimes is a very rough and tumble deal. You know, I was a lobbyist for a number of years. You want to talk about backbiting and backstabbing and a whole bunch of other things. It's a pretty rough kind of way to do it. You know, the, the key is to, is that we should all, again, get back to the values, you know? And the other thing I think we have to allow ourselves, Sarah and Marjorie, is the ability to make mistakes. And we're in this right now, this this culture thing of canceling culture, make one mistake and you're out. That's a tough thing. And when we have that, then it doesn't allow us to have the kind of far reaching discussions, not only discussions, but the next level of being able to change. And so when I was in the Black Lives Matter conversations last summer and the summer before that, I think it was, yeah, the summer before that, I had this first a black sergeant from the LA Police Department. I had this, I had this, I had, I had so many people of color on the show. Because, and I said, look, I'm going to say something and it's not going to be right. I want to have permission to do that with you. I want to have a permission to ask a question that to you seems like the stupidest question in the world. And it's just because of my ignorance. I don't know. But can I have that conversation without you killing me? Meaning, you know what I mean? Or canceling me out or whatever. And I think we need to have those kinds of conversations because, you know, it's like, like, you know, you got to have permission to be able to say, I don't know who the hell you're talking about or what you're talking about, or I've never seen that. And, but talk to me about what that's like. And the more you have of that, the greater understanding, the greater acceptance and inclusion and all the things that come with that, that you have. And I think, I think that's important. I think we've lost that. We were talking about this on our Scott C-Suite Network, Scott Sunday last night, where it's the politics of hate have come so far. And I, and I, and I, I, if you're going to point fingers, I point fingers at people like Rush Limbaugh and, and many others like that who have done their job to isolate people into one camp or the other. And this one's right and this one's wrong. And that's not the way it works. We were talking about Tip O'Neill and Ronald Reagan, two opposites, but yet they got along. They got along. And, you know, one time Ronald Reagan called him up and said, come over for a drink. He said, I can't come see you before five. So, you know what Ronald Reagan did? Changed his clock. So every time Tip O'Neill was in his office, he changed it to five o'clock. So with one, they could have a, a whiskey and talk it out and work it out. That's the kind of stuff we need to see, right? That's the kind of stuff we want to see. And I, I think that's so right. It's that camaraderie. And I kind of worry about the next generation because, you know, there's been COVID, there's been, everything's been on Zoom. And as great as Zoom is, and as great as 
technology is half your conversation is your body language. It's your, the energy you give to the room. So I think that's, that's kind of, I'm, I'm concerned about the next generation and, and their communication skills. You know, we're, we always are. Our parents were, our grandparents <laughs> were about us. I think that young people today are pretty damn good people. Mm-hmm. And, if, you know, and now you get, as you get older, like me, I start looking and saying, well, what's my legacy? You know, so my legacy is how do I put my imprint on my grandkids, right? That's what I'm focused on. How can I do that? How can I help show them? And, and, you know, I got two young, young girls there. I call them the girlies. And, you know, when you're six foot, you know, something, 200 and some pounds and you live in South Dakota, I call them the girlies. And uh, so don't anyone don't write letters. I don't care. You know, they come over to my house and uh, I don't have to worry about walking on Lego. They got to worry about stepping on a naked Barbie. You know, that's more pain than stepping on a Lego, by the way, just so I want you to know that right <laughs> off the bat. So, but you know, I have these two young, young girls who are smart as whips. I was never as smart as they are at four and six as they are. They're at four and six. I was never that smart. You know, I, I was eating dirt when I was four and six, you know, maybe probably when I was about 12, you know, I, I was doing stupid stuff and they you know, they know how to read and write and do the iPads and computers and everything else. And they asked such intelligent questions and, you know, and I couldn't say a sentence back then. So I think we're going to be in pretty good shape. So my job is to do what I can to put values into them. And by the way, I spend a lot of time telling them how smart they are and how good they are rather than how pretty they are, although they're gorgeous, because I want them to have that, you know, as opposed to the way I grew up. Let's talk about the book, because I know we're running out of time here. The new book, you've done four, three or four books. The one that's out right now is Brand You, Brand For You. The Brand Of You, yeah. Talk about the brand of you, yeah. I mean, I'm a real believer that you take content and you sell it. If you want to become... If you want to become the top of your, I don't care if you're a, a dry cleaner in Sioux Falls, South Dakota, or you're at the top of your game and you're Jamie Diamond in charge you know, of, a, of a huge JP Morgan bank, you got to sell you. And if you sell you, you sell the company, you sell the company, you sell you. So if you're, you know, a Jamie Diamond, he's doing news interviews. He's got his company doing his own podcast. They get, they're doing, they're sponsoring this or doing this because they're building up the brand of what that is. And the same thing holds true for that dry cleaner. Who's got to be the king of spots right? And got to show you that he or she is the leader of the category, the real estate agent or the chiropractor, whoever it might be. And so it's all about content. This game is now about content and to be able to be discovered, as Marjorie said earlier, you got to be discovered. And so it's about reach and discovery and then conversion. And then hopefully with that becomes the respect of the brand because a brand is nothing but a promise delivered. So it's about that respect. It's about that brand delivery. So the brand of you is a brand new book. It's out. If you reach, you reach out to me at Jeff at C sweetnetwork.com c hyphen sweet s-u-i-t-e network.com i'll give you a free copy of it come to our website it's all there but it's called the brand of you and it's a brand new book about taking and selling you and selling and using content as your way to be able to sell the business i love that you have this book out right now because we did like years and years ago at another agency i commissioned the bruise and battered brand poll and it's a matter of being a ceo you know john soderstrom larry um steve Wakano. i mean we did all the cmos and it was all about you are your brand or is your brand the personality of you and it was very you know for a while there was like you're a walking brand you walk and talk you represent your company but 
Is your company's brand bruised and battered because you as a person, like you said, the value, you're bruised and battered. You don't know how to lead. You don't have your, you're not where your feet are. Or do you have a really great brand? Because that's a replication of who you are as a human, your core values of how you lead, how you work. And like, this is like a quote came out of that Larry Ellison at the time. And this was the greatest quote for some reason I always remember with all these tech moguls. He didn't build Oracle because he's the smartest guy in the room. He gave credit. I reason why I'm who I am and I'm here where I'm at because I'm an idiot. The people around me are the smartest people in the room because of the people around me and my team. That's why I am who I am and why I own Oracle. He also, well, he also used guy. two customers had, after that. But he's had know. some really good people. And, you know, Mark Hurd has been his CEO for a while. You know, he brought him over from NEC. Of course, they had some issues politically or publicly, but, you know, from time to time. But you get operators, and yeah, Larry's done well. He's got a, had a great CMO for a number of years. She, she was just a dynamo for a number of years, and you know, some good people. You know what? My biggest thing is you are the company you keep. I, from the, like oh, I yeah. said that from day one. Your mom and dad say that. Quit what? hanging around. A guy quit hanging around those people. They're my mom, like, my mom, I, my mom would beat me with a stick. You know, if if I got around people she didn't like, I mean, she just she would literally get a stick and chase me. If you know, you you know, you do not do not hang around those people. Remember that. Remember that? My That's parents what, aren't like that, but my mom has given me brutal feedback on my podcast. She's all excited. Now that shows how to work the, iP- the podcast on her iPod. Oh my God. That goes yeah. like, that's the best and the worst critic. But like, I, I always believe you, 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 you become who you are by the people around you and you always are the company you keep. So I'm always so grateful. If I'm the company I keep, then I'm very proud of the fact that I'm keeping company with the people I keep such as you and Marjorie. So that's my always thing going in and out of any relationship. That's awesome. Well, this is like the longest podcast I've ever been. Ah, stop it! I'm going to red mark you. Question. Okay. No, no, no. Let's do it. Let's do it. Let's go, Kodak. All right. Yeah. Go ahead. I I lived in Rochester, so Kodak. Oh wow! Obviously, iconic brand. And what do you think about the whole? Like, I guess probably in the past five years, them being a pharmaceutical company. You know, they're changing. They've actually lost their way now to a large extent of where they were at to what they are. I mean, look, they help to make, manage and move images and information. That's really, truly what they are. They're material science and imaging science. So if you look at the material science, it makes sense on the pharmaceutical side to some extent. But they have a crux. They, they're, they're, you know, one of the five largest companies of patents in the world. But it was because of the material science and the imaging science. I mean, they used to grow their own cattle. So that when they slaughtered the cattle, they could take the bones and make gelatin in order to make film. And they controlled that process because they were so good at the material science and then melding that together with the imaging science. And that that was a legacy from George Eastman because if you look at the history of that company, and I used to have his office, used to have his some of his artifacts were in my office and stuff like that because I just thought he was a, he was a brilliant man, a savant of his time. But the first four or five years, he had a complete failure as a company. I mean, 100% failure of the products. None of the products worked the way they should have, but yet he stuck with it and kept with it. So that's a rich, rich piece of it, which you'd love to see that come back. And I don't I don't know that the present leadership today has that same thing. And I'm not trying to be – usually as, as a C-suite, you don't, you don't try to judge the people around them, you know, the way it used to be. But, you know, they've done some – what I would call some bonehead moves. 
I mean, Bitcoin getting into cyber security. You know, these are to me, these are grass. These are things you do when you, you don't, you've lost your way and don't, it's not your core value. And I think well, I would always get back to the things that George Eastman done, the core values of what they did, imaging science, material science, and, and remember what they used to be. And that was a, a hell of a company. I think we need Jeffrey Hazlett podcast part two, part three. <laughs> You're going to be our quarterly. Let's today. Bring me back. I'm, I'll come back. I'll come I, back. I think, I think, I think Marjorie and I need a quarterly update with Jeffrey Hazlett right now. We need our own Jeffrey Hazlett series. I'm meeting him <laughs> podcast, which is not a bad idea. We're also, I want to review a lot of the books coming up and do a year review on books. So um, we will Ooh. make sure we get your book, get you back on. But like, I don't even have a podcast mic drop moment because I always love talking to you. And I just feel like we have eight other topics to cover in another few months with you. Put the quarter in. We'll go for a full ride. I'm ready to roll. It's so good talking to you, Jeffrey. Just one last, like, give me your last parting shots. I mean, I am a C-suite fan because I am one of your podcasters. Absolutely adore you. Been on some of the Zooms. I'm going to, Marjorie and I are going to be on one of the next two Scotch Sundays. But like for other, everybody else out there, because I know our podcast is blowing up. They're all C-level. Give me your parting thought of what's the best one thing you could tell everybody out there about C-Suite Networks. Hey, it's a trusted community where you can come together to learn how to use your content to grow your knowledge, your business, your life. And that's really, truly what it's about. It's a, a great place to be able to come together, get a little motivation, a little inspiration, a little education, and a chance at monetization if you get engaged. And we've grown to, you know, over 350,000 people have opted in. We get 90 million views, millions of downloads, you know, over 10,000 paying members that are part of it. And, and more than that, that come to all of our programs and the activities that we run well over 300 a year that we're now doing interactively so we just uh, come and see what it's like you know you come the first time you're a guest come the second time you'll still be our guest third time i'm going to ask you to bring a hot dish which means you're going to have to join up and go i think we're up for the challenge c-suite networks jeffrey hazlett it was so good having you on we're looking forward to having you on again for another follow-up i'm but- ready until then, we'll get our quarters ready. Sarah Mill with Meeting Mavens Podcast here with Marjorie DeHay and Jeffrey Hazlett. Guys, it's been a great hour with you. Talk to you all soon. Thank you for joining us for this episode of the Media Mavens Podcast. If you don't want to miss an episode or want to download past episodes, be sure to subscribe to the Media Mavens Podcast on your favorite podcast provider. To learn more about the podcast or our guests, please visit MediaMavensPodcast.com. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.